Hello and welcome to Walk in the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the shadowy realms of the unexplained, the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. Your host? I'm Marianne. And I would like to welcome you to our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, today, whatever time it is, wherever you are living in this beautiful world of ours. So sit back, relax, and let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and discover what awaits us there. In 1980, in Rendlesham Forest, located in the United Kingdom, two U.S. Air Force bases called Woodbridge and Bentwaters on England's east coast became the focal point of some now very famous and well-known UFO incidents, with books having been written about the subject because of its very high profile. Just after midnight on December 26th, 1980, radar screens picked up and followed an unidentified flying object, also seen by many military and most likely civilian witnesses as well. The radar followed it as it disappeared into the forest. Soldiers were sent to the spot and one Colonel Holt recorded a running commentary into a dictation machine as he and the personnel looked for the strange light that had landed. When they got there, they saw a luminous triangular-shaped craft, about 10 feet across and 8 feet high, which was there briefly, then flew off. But this wasn't the only sighting of anomalous lights in the sky in that area. There were several nights of sightings witnessed by many people. This event garnered media attention worldwide, not the least because it was between the military bases and military personnel were directly involved in the case. Of course, for many years the event was covered up. Then some few witnesses started coming forward, speaking to different authors who wrote books about the incident, or researchers fascinated by the incident and because the military were involved, especially suspicious of the cover-up, who also write books. However, those high-profile figures who have been public about the experiences were not the only witnesses to the events that took place those nights. There are many servicemen and women who were also witnesses but have observed the military orders to keep their mouths shut. So, are you ready to walk into the depths of the Shadowlands with me and bring some light onto this topic? Let's begin. Just recently though, this is changing and people are starting to open up about their experiences on those nights for various reasons known only to them. My guest this episode is one of them and he is the reason I'm returning from my break early. My guest was a sergeant of the security police with a top secret military clearance. He has never before spoken in public about his experiences, so I'm absolutely thrilled to have been able to be the first person to publicly air his story. Although he also speaks about his experiences in a new documentary on the subject coming out later this year. 
I actually came across Stacey quite by accident when I was reading the MUFON Facebook page. He just wrote a couple of lines about how he'd seen things at Bentwood and that the incidents were absolutely real, not more than two or three lines. But I knew I had to get in touch with him and hear his story for myself. It took some effort to be able to actually track him down, but ultimately I was able to reach him by phone and I asked his permission if he would be willing to share his story with me and you all. He called me back as I only was able to reach his answer phone. Our emails weren't getting through, messages I was sending on Facebook weren't getting through, so I put some money on my phone and I phoned him in the States. So he called me back. Stacy doesn't have a computer, only his cell phone, and is not a well man. I was going to organise a time when we could talk formally about this, especially since it was about 2am their time when he called me back. But actually, he said he sleeps very little these days and, and would be happy to talk to me. We couldn't get my Zoom room to work, which is what I generally use for interviewing guests, so I did the best we could. I had to record his phone call directly to my computer using my internal mic, so I apologise that the audio quality is not the best, but it's the best we were able to get, considering it was literally on the spur of the moment. I was absolutely unprepared. Normally I have a pile of questions for my guests, even if I don't use them, but as it turns out, it was a really revealing and interesting conversation. I will warn you all now that there is the use of some language in this conversation that's not suitable for kids to hear. Well, there it is. I'm so pleased to introduce my guest, Stacey Smith. Stacey, I'm so excited to be talking to you, even if it's like on the spur of the moment about your experiences. Unfortunately, I was there. I wish to God I hadn't been, but I was. Well, maybe, Stacey, we can start from the beginning. Can you please introduce yourself and tell us your name and set the scene for us of how you came to be at Rendlesham? I um, got out of high school in 1979, joined the Air Force, United States Air Force. Um, 
went through training, went to ST school, and was sent to Vent Waters, Woodbridge Air Base in England. Right. In 1980, that's when um, I had my first incident. Right. But before we get on to that, Stacey, can you please... Can you please tell us what your position was in the Air Force? What did you do on the Bentwater base? Can you please give me your rank and terminology? I'm a sergeant. I was a security police officer, uh, SP. United States Air Force. And 1979, July 16th. Went through training, basic training. Right. Went through the SP Academy. A lot of guys... You know, after the guys SC Academy went on to other things, but I had to um, stay behind. I don't know why, but it was called what they called air base ground defense. Um, like it's anyway, I got um, assigned to um, said 81st Tactical Fighter Wing, uh, UK. Okay, what's that? Utah? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I was, I was an 18 year old kid. <laughs> and, uh, he said, No, United Kingdom. I said, Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. I was sent to the 81st Tactics Fighter Squadron in England. And I went to a Training after I got there, and you know, you had to go through more training before you, you could become a certified as what I call SB. We could arrest anyone from a general on down. I arrested a lieutenant colonel one time. <laughs> he tried to tell me, This is my goddamn base. Yes, sir, it's my badge and this is my gun. You go on with me. <laughs> oh, good for you. And as part of your role, what sort of things would you do, just for those of us who don't have any knowledge of the military? Um, a security police in the military, um, he's a cop. He runs the base. Right. He can detain anyone. Being security police on the base, did that have some good points for you? Ma'am, good news. Uh, let me just adjust my let me just adjust my microphone a little bit better. No. Uh, can you hear me better now? Yeah, I can hear you. Sorry about that, Stacey. Normally before I speak with people I have everything set up and organized, but in our case it was just so spur of the moment I had nothing organized. <laughs> it's okay. I've been a cop all my life, so it's all right. So, Stacey, maybe maybe you can tell us a bit about when you first got to Bentwood, how long you had been at the base before the incident, this first incident occurred. Well, I, 
I arrived in 1979, November. And I had to go through a lot more training before I could become a um, apprentice SP. That's what we called us SPs back then. Right. It took about six months. Some guys took longer, so you had to go through a lot more schools and classes. Right. So I imagine you had some sort of security clearance as well. Would that be right? Oh, yeah. yeah yes, ma'am. I had a top secret. I don't know why, but uh, most of us had secret. Right. And um, I had a top secret. It took me longer to get my toxic secret. I don't know why they picked me for it, but it happened. So, oh well. They had to have SPs that could go into top secret areas. Um, right, of course, right. They'd have to. That never occurred to me, being a civilian, but that would be absolutely right because they need you guys for protection in sensitive areas. Yeah. And, um, I was in our command. We were on alert one time, and um, they put me in the command center. We had generals and colonels and all that going in there. And um, I had to lock up the um, classified documents, put them in a safe. And I was armed, so they made me go there and make sure it was locked up. Wow. So that's what I did. Yeah. And how long had you been on the base before this incident occurred? About a year. Right. Um, my first incident, my first incident happened in um the late November of 
so close in front of you how did you feel it must have been terrifying oh I was scared to death scared the shit out of me I was a 19 year old kid right and um I had an M60 machine gun with over 500 rounds of ammunition and the sergeant asked me he said did you lock and load that machine gun I said yes sir I did which we weren't supposed to do. I said, uh, if you don't like it, you can wrap my ass up and relieve me now. He said, hell no. <laughs> so the airman, um, he jumped the fence. He told me point blank. He said, um, I'm going to go down about 100 yards and jump the fence and come in from the right side and flank it. I said, okay, back to go. Right. When he came in, you could hear him walking through the woods. If you'd have blinked your eyes, you'd have never seen him leave. Right. It left that fast. Right. Right. And so did it simply ascend right up and whoosh, it was gone just like that? Yep. Right. And so, and so once it left, what did your sergeant say? What happened on the base? Was there a debriefing for you all? They left. No, nothing was said. I went up and crawled in the back of the hangar, aircraft hangar, which was concrete. And um, the only reason being was um, I knew it was something to come back. It would take out that bunker, so I wasn't going to be in it. Oh, understand, understandable. So they basically left you at that post then then they went off to do whatever they did and left you there by yourself? Yep, sure did. Oh, wow. For a 19-year-old kid, that must have been something pretty awful to deal with, I imagine. It was bad. Yeah. I still have dreams. I have things in my head that it's, I don't know. From the time I went to the um back of the hangar to the time I got to the barracks. Right. I do not remember. So, you have a period of lost time then? Yes, ma'am. Wow. Okay, so in your gut, you know that something happened in that period of time. Excuse me. You know that something happened in that period of time, but you just have no recollection of it. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. How does that make you feel? That must be a bit scared. Yeah. I'm almost 60 years old and I'm still scared. 
I have things in my head, but I don't know what they are. Oh, okay. I'll get back to that in a little bit, Stacey. I can just imagine as a 19-year-old kid how traumatizing. quiet for so long. What made you decide to come forward now? You haven't spoken publicly about your experiences in all of this time. Why now? When all the other guys are coming forward, right. a lot have come forward um, to defend me. Other SPs, uh, John, Ian Peniston, Colonel Hawk. Colonel Hawk was only there one night. Right. We work every night. Right. Pardon my friends. Right. Okay, so... And they're making money off our incident. Right. They're making, they're writing books and making money and, you know, my saying to them is, fuck you. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, no. I totally understand that. You... Uh, you feel that they are, mm, and they are profiteering from a from a traumatic experience. Something that was a very traumatic experience to you. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I totally get that. I understand where you're coming from. So you lost that time. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you lost that time, and then you're back at your barracks. Life goes on, sort of. I guess you struggle to come to terms with what you've seen. Do you have any anybody you can talk to about it, or did they just leave you without any sort of psychological support at all? I don't have nobody, baby. Nobody. They didn't provide anybody for you to talk to? No counsellor, no debriefing, nothing like that? Nope. Oh, wow, that's totally horrible. Stacy. I'm so sorry. That makes me feel really badly for the 19-year-old boy that you were. And it means that you've had to carry all this, this extra, the whole time. So I'm sorry you've been through that essentially alone. I have no body. And um, I tried to contact the VA, but, man, they, I contacted my state senators and all this kind of stuff, and they wanted to contact me back. Oh, wow. Nobody wants to touch it, eh? It's a hot potato. Yep. Nobody mm. wants to touch it. They think it's... I've had thyroid cancer. Wow. I've had seven tumors. In my thyroid clan, and all my doctors say that's very unusual. Um, I say you usually don't see that in a, a man that had been exposed to radiation. I I would say so. I was a nurse for over 30 years and worked for some time in an endo ward where we treated thyroid cancers, and they aren't that common. One is rare, but I've never heard of or seen multiple tumours at once in the thyroid, so I would say that is very rare. So this incident occurred. You had the period of lost time from the time you went into the hangar to the time you returned to your room, right? Yeah. Did you... Did you the next day or the days after 
did you notice anything physical on your body? Like, did you have any marks? Did you have any unusual bruising on your body or anything like that? On my ankles. On your ankles. No. I didn't realize I was back in the barracks until I was in shower. shower. Right. I was standing there butt naked. All I could say was, did this happen? Right. Of course. Did this really happen? And, you know, I was a kid. Yeah, a 19-year-old kid. You were only a kid. Yeah. And that would be really hard for a mature person to deal with, let alone a kid. And so you found bruising around your ankles. On your ankles? Yeah, still have it. Oh? So it's like a permanent mark? Yeah, it's still there. So you discovered the bruises and... People may doubt me, but... I don't care. I don't give a shit. They doubt me or not. It happened. I saw it. I was within 30 yards of one object. So I don't care who doubts me. I saw the one go over the east end of the runway. Believe me, it doesn't matter. Believe me, I don't care. It happened. Good for you. It happened. I have no doubt in my mind that this happened and that you experienced everything that you have and will share with my listeners and also that you've suffered ongoing trauma and health issues because of this, no doubt. Yes, ma'am, I'm still suffering. Yeah. But um, the VA won't help me. So. And I'm really sorry to hear that. It sucks. Really sucks. So, how long after that first incident was the second one? My roommate, he was there, and I told him about it. Pat Chopper, he was a Italian. He lives in Rochester, New York. And um, I told him, he's the only one I told on my first incident. Wow. And um, it's, I was scared. It scared me to death. Yeah. How was a 19-year-old kid supposed to do? Yeah, exactly. The second one, one was, um, I was on Wood Bridge with uh, Sergeant Bastinza, and uh, Colonel Hawk come out there that night, and um, they said the crafts are back, and everybody put their weapons in my truck. Um, my vehicle that was going off base, and um, hell, I had enough guns to start a war. Um, anyway, they went out there that night, and um, I was sitting in the truck, and they posted a new guy on the gate there behind me, and um, he started yelling. What the fuck is that? What the fuck is that? And I, I got out of the truck and said, man, what are you talking about? And um, he said, look, what the fuck is that? And that's the exact words. He was pointing back towards Bitwaters. And um, there was a triangular-shaped craft. I don't know what it was. 
it come across the east end of the runway. It was right above the tree, li tree line, excuse me. Mm. I got my dog here, but it went into Rendlesham, into the forest. And um, he said, man, what the fuck is that? I said, I don't know. And it made no noise, but you could see it. Right. It had a, in the middle, it was bluish color, but on the outlines of it, it was a whitish color. Bright, white light. And um, if you listen to um, Colonel Hall's tape, the aircraft that come in to him, he said it come in from the south. That was the one we saw because they were a cap of green. Right. Then. That was the same craft. How big do you think it was? It wasn't real big. It wasn't very big at all. I don't know. It's hard to tell at night. Right, of course. Yeah. And, um... They left, three of them. They went straight up. So there were three craft in total? I'm sorry, I'm not sure I heard you correctly. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, so there were three ships and not just the one you guys saw initially? Three. That I know of. Three. Wow. Oh, I didn't know that. If you not looked up, if you blinked, You'd have never seen them leave. Right. Straight up. And we got a debrief afterwards. And um, we were called down to the 67th Air Sea Rescue Squadron pads. And um, they even called guys out of the tower. And um, I was there. And um, I didn't say shit. But I was speaking to the guys in the tower. And they said, what the hell was that? Man, this thing went from 1,000 to 90 off our screen in like four seconds. Wow. So what I understand is um, even Heathrow and a lot of bases had them. Right. I don't know that fact, but I don't give a shit what anybody says. Um, we got a lot of guys coming forward now. Right. So, was that the end of the instance at Bent Waters? One actually landed, didn't it? I don't know. I wasn't there involved with that. Oh, right. I wasn't involved with that part. Right. So, these are the ones you did see. So, after they debriefed you all, what did they tell you? Keep our fucking mouth shut. <laughs> this is classified. We were all under um, security clearance at that time. I had a top secret. Some had secret. So if we'd have talked about it, we'd, our clearance would be gone. Absolutely, they would have. Yeah. So they, and they provided no counselling for you after that one either, I imagine. Nope. Nope. They, I was working Woodbridge one day and uh, on the, um, it's a relay station from Bentwater to Woodbridge. Right. There's two bases. Yeah. So after this last incident in your debriefing, how long were you on that particular base for? Two years. And nothing further happened after that? Well, before 19, that 
my incident in November. Uh, Lieutenant was going between Woodbridge and Bentwater. Um, she rolled a Jeep. Mm. She said an orange red ball come in front of her and um, she swerved to miss it and she shot at it. So I would have same thing I think I seen. That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? They flew her off the base quick. Wow, that sounds interesting. Yeah, because she shot, she fired her gun, M16, at it. It was right off the end of the uh, runway going to Woodbridge. So I ain't going to say her name, which is. I had to come for a weapon that night, you know. Anyway, it's okay. So let's go back and let's talk about your period of missing time and the downloaded information that you were obviously given, if that's okay with you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Stacey. Are these things in your head technical information or diagrams or stuff like that? Mathematical, put it that way. Mathematical equations? Yeah. Have you written any of these equations down? Yes, ma'am. Sure have. Show them to my one of my friends who he told me to um never write it down again. Wow. And walk away. And I didn't know what it was. How did that make you feel when he gave you that advice? He asked me where where did you get that? I said, I don't know. It was just give to me. And um, he said, do you know what that is? And I said, no. Did he say what it was? No. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. When you get these mathematical equations, Stacey, how often do they come to you? Are they like, uh, are they just suddenly there in your head and you have to write them down? Um, they've been there. The whole time? Yeah. Now, I don't know what they are. Right. I'm no math for <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for sharing this much with my listeners, Stacey. You obviously have ethics. Yes, ma'am. Because it's taken you this long to come public and speak out about what you experienced. It's a long time to carry such a burden and not, not be able to speak of it to anybody and kudos to you for keeping your word. It would have taken a lot of integrity and a sense of self-preservation, no doubt, not to tell anybody. <laughs> That's right. Right. Swearing. Right. <laughs> and I'm a man of Sorry. No, no, don't apologise because that's really great that you are. So, how long after these incidents did your health start to decline? 1998, when I got thyroid cancer. Right. That was 18 to 20 years after I saw that object. So, my first week, they, my doctor told me I had a board, so they sent me to a specialist. Right. He took a box. Stuck a needle in my throat and drew out fluid. Next day, sent me to a, uh, another one, had a sonogram, 
by Friday, I went through surgery. Right, wow. They cut my thyroid out. Right. Except for a little bitty piece. And um, he told me I had seven tumors. Wow. In my thyroid glands. <clears throat> he said, we don't usually see this in males, but he said, we usually only see this in someone as me. Who has been exposed to a high dose of radiation? And I have bad migraines. That's really fascinating. So you feel this is a direct correlation to your first experience? Yes, ma'am. Now they found out I've got a blood disorder. Oh, wow. Is the blood disorder also linked to the radiation? <laughs> I swear to God, I think so. I can't prove it, but excuse me, I'm yelling. Oh, that's all right, Stacy. I realize it's really early in the morning where you are, and this was a spur-of-the-moment interview, so I won't keep you too much longer. Okay, we can talk. Oh, thanks. How did you get involved with this documentary that's coming out this year called Capel Green? They asked me for an interview, and I said, okay. So they came to my house, and big bright lights shining <laughs> in my face and they asked me questions I asked them I told them the truth right anyway they um, interviewed me and I still talked to um, Dion the producer you know he's out of London London England I wish I'd never seen none of it yeah I can understand that, and I can understand how. I mean, you were only 19, just a kid. How could you possibly, how could they possibly expect you and your mates, who are probably around the same age, to have the emotional maturity to deal with this without any sort of support? And, you know, even mature adults would have trouble dealing with it. So how could a kid who's away from home, family, support structure, be expected to cope? Honestly, it just breaks my heart to hear that. Honestly, Stacy, it just makes me feel so, so bad for the kid that you were. I don't know. I'd rather fight and give up. Well, you're obviously a fighter because you haven't given up. After all these years, you're still fighting, and that's got to be a good thing. Yes, ma'am. And the fact that you're talking out now for the first time in a public media speaks volumes about your integrity. And, you know, it really is just the right time to put this out there. And I'm really, really grateful to you, Stacey, for taking the time to talk to me and my audience. And I know that my listeners are going to get a lot out of what you said. I know I have some listeners, particularly in Britain, hello, Duncan, who when I told them I was trying to track you down and see if you would talk with me, they were pretty excited about this because they have a fascination with with the whole Rendlesham Forest affair and to have someone who witnessed parts of it and who has never spoken in public media before about it, is pretty awesome. Tracking me down. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I had another woman to do that. (laughs) As pretty as you. 
Stacey, for me, it's an honour to have spoken with you. And I know my listeners are going to get a lot out of this conversation as well. So formally, I'd like to close our interview and say thank you so very much for taking the time, especially on the spur of the moment as it was, to share your amazing story, your experiences and journey with us all. I'm so very grateful to you, Stacey. And I really, really appreciate the fact that you've honoured your commitment all these years at great cost to yourself. I want to acknowledge that, Stacey. And I'm really grateful that you're sharing that with us. Thank you so much. Thank you for caring. That's all I want. It upsets me to see good, honest people like you who've had their whole life affected by an incident, didn't get any help, no support, no nothing from your government. That just makes me so angry, so angry. And I'll put this comment in our interview because your government should be helping you and the others like you who are suffering now because of no fault of your own just doing your act of duty. It's so wrong. Anyway, Stacey, thank you so very much for your time and for letting me speak to you so early in your morning. Thank you. Bye-bye. So that was my conversation with Stacy, a conversation that really touched me on a number of levels. I found Stacy to be such an honest and humble man who's fighting a number of serious illnesses, more than likely directly connected with this incident he was involved with at Bentwood when he was just a kid of 19 years old. It really distresses me that this lovely gentleman who has a wonderful sense of humour and doubtless many more like him have basically been deserted by the government that they worked for on active duty. This to me is totally morally unacceptable. I know things work differently in the States than they do, well, in most of the rest of the world actually, but surely there must be something that can be done to help people like Stacey to, at the very least, try and improve the quality of their lives, if nothing else. For Stacy to come forward now and speak publicly about his experiences is to me very telling of the changing times and attitudes also towards the subject of UFOs, star people and everything else that goes along with this. So, for at least the first episodes in this, our second season of Walking the Shadowlands, I'll be covering these topics with other guests and sharing some of my own personal experiences as well. In fact, next week's episode, which originally was going to be the first in the new series before Stacey popped up on my radar, is about the men in black. No, not that famous movie that spawned a number of sequels. I'm talking the real thing that these movies took their inspiration from. So be sure and tune in for that episode.
Our musical score today is called Private Reflection by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons. For more information, check out this episode's page on the podcast website at www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. If you have any suggestions for topics you might like me to cover in upcoming episodes, then please don't hesitate to contact me. Or if any of you have any questions or any comments that you'd like to make or experiences that you might like to share with myself and my audience, then just email me at shadowlands at yahoo.com. If you're a member of Anchor at anchor.fm, then you can leave me a voice message via their platform, which I could include in an upcoming episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave a positive rating and don't be shy to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts or on your chosen podcasting platform. Who knows, you may hear your review read out at the end of one of these podcasts. And of course, so you don't miss out on any episode, make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms and available from iHeartRadio as well. If you don't have a smartphone, then you can listen to the episodes from the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. For those hearing impaired, there's a full written transcript of each episode on the website, so you don't miss out at all. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your workmates about our show. Encourage them to listen and to subscribe also, the more the merrier. Please consider supporting the show on Patreon.com. You can check out the link on our website, check out our Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands, and our Instagram feed of the same name, and our Twitter feed, at Shadowlands10. Like and follow for hints on our upcoming episodes. Thank you so much for listening. Tonight, today wherever you are in this beautiful world of ours. We'll see you this time next week. Thanks for listening. 